0: For more information, visit multrimobile.com.
1: Welcome to the Antler Up podcast. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to a new episode of the Antler Up podcast. We are on episode 141. And on this week's episode, I was joined by NDA's Chief Conservation Officer, Kip Adams. This is the second time Kip's been on the podcast, and I always enjoy catching up with him. And he's from Pennsylvania, and we chat about gearing up for this upcoming season, like especially right now, the season's starting. So hopefully you had a fun, eventful weekend. We'll talk about a little bit about that, too, before we get into this episode, but you know, Kip has two kids, and my daughter Nora is coming out with me this year on a couple hunts to try to get a deer for her. But I talked to Kip a little bit, you know, asking him how to make hunting fun for kids. A uh, quick little discussion regarding that. And after that, we dove into how 22 forecasts and the struggle of 2021 uh, for some people. And we talk about deer communication, finding betting, using buck sign to cash in on a buck early season. And lastly, Kip dived into controlling your emotions in the heat of the moment and the practice that goes into that to better your skills for that one opportunity. So Kip, thank you so much for coming on again. That's uh, a quick one. So hope you enjoy this one. And before we dive into this week's episode, let's talk about this past opening day here in Pennsylvania. So for me, obviously, there were some units that were already opened up throughout the state for the last couple of weeks, but the statewide was this weekend. And for me, the forecast was rain. And boy, did I get poured on, and not too fun to be out there in the woods. So, actually, did not see much of anything, saw a ton of squirrels. But I know some friends that saw and got on some deer. Uh, those of you that ha- had the opportunity to fill a tag, congratulations to you. So, this weekend, though, coming up, cold front, Saturday. A little bit Friday, maybe depending on where you're at. Originally, it was looking like Friday. Now it looks like Saturday is really when that cold front's going to be hitting uh, for, throughout the day. So hopefully, though, you have a chance to get out this weekend and get after it because it could be potentially be pretty good. So good luck to everybody. Uneventful aside from for me on opening day. So hopefully this weekend we'll be able to get back at it and get after. it. And Black Rifle Coffee Company is a veteran-owned coffee company serving premium coffee to people who love america so fuel your next adventure and purchase it and use code antler at checkout to save 20 percent off your purchase and or with your first coffee club subscription last year was a wild year for censorship for hunters and anglers we partnered with social media platform go wild to combat mainstream social media censorship go wild was built by outdoorsmen and women by hunters and anglers just like you go wild is a free social community not only are your photos not censored they're encouraged on go wild and go wild gives you points for things like sharing your trophies gear reviews and inviting friends as you earn points you unlock awesome rewards too such as gift cards free swag knives huge discounts on brands like garmin and vortex and so much more and if you create a free account you can unlock ten dollars just for trying it out visit and download GoWild.com to get started Let's get into this week's episode. It's always uh, a pleasure to to see you and, and have you on again. This is this is great.
2: Oh, good deal. Good to see you as well, and uh, thanks for having me.
1: No problem, buddy. I appreciate you taking the time, and I know your time's precious, and so what is, this will be a fun, quick one, man. Sounds good. Awesome, Kip. Well, what's going on with you, man? Uh, still... Still with the NDA right now, still being the you know chief conservation officer, so which is awesome. So man, I'm, I'm it's a pleasure to have you on and talk deer hunting, getting ready for the PA season. Oh man, well thank you. Uh, I'm excited to be here. Um, oh Kip, let's jump right into it, man. What do you what have you been up to? What what's how are you getting uh, fired up for this upcoming season and maybe some things that uh, you know are on the docket for you.
2: Sure. I'm very excited about uh, our season, you know, just around the corner now. um, My kids and I have done a pile of habitat work this summer uh, to to get ready for this fall. And being here in Pennsylvania, you know, we don't open until uh, October 1st, but Maryland opens a little sooner. They open this Friday. Yep. And a good friend of mine in Maryland has invited my son to come down and hunt. So uh, Friday morning, my son and I will be headed uh, to Maryland. Um, so, uh, I will be sitting in a stand, uh, Friday night, nice. so, uh, which is, which is pretty cool. So, uh, it's a nice way to kind of kickstart our archery season, um, gives us a little bit of a, a deer season fix before our opener here. In, in a few weeks.
1: Awesome. So Maryland, you, this is, you've been going to Maryland the last couple of years, correct?
2: We've gone to the last two. Yeah. So, um, he's, he started inviting us down and, uh, I guess the 2020 season. So, um. And uh, and my son was was very lucky that year, and again last year. So uh, uh, pretty cool. It's it's a neat opportunity for because my son is thirteen. Yep. For him to get to you know spend time with with my friend, spend time with some others, and because uh, because my son spends a lot of time at our deer camp. Right. But it's really good for him, you know, to to see that you know there's there's different ways that people hunt. You know, it's not always a camp atmosphere. kind of broaden his horizons a little bit you know on the deer hunting world Mm -hmm. realize that man everywhere you know people are the same you know they at least hunters are the same you know they respect the animal they take proper care of it they encourage each other they support each other so uh it's it's a good learning experience for a young man for sure
1: that's great that's now because you have been mentoring people for many years obviously Mm -hmm. well any tips or uh, lessons i guess you could kind of give for parents that are getting their children into the hunting, especially maybe at a, at a younger age. Like I, I obviously you said your son's 13 and I know your daughter's older as well. Uh, and she's, she's participating in hunting. My daughter is eight this year and she'll be nine this spring and she's all gung ho about it. And, you know, I just kind of, for me personally, I'm just kind of going with the flow. Like, Hey, I bring her out. I've let her shoot her bow all the time. And obviously, uh, for, you know, to, to hunt deer, she's going to need a crossbow because of the legal limit and everything. But man, I'm super excited that she's taking a liking and wanting to do it. So any lessons that you could kind of give fellow hunters that have young children, getting them ready to, to hopefully one
2: day uh, participate with them? I think just make sure that you keep it fun. Yeah. Um, you know the, the first few hunts when they're i think as much as anything just just make sure we make it fun for them you know this this is not the time to give them the you know the all day sit and then you know the freezing temperature you know it's it's time to hey let's let's make sure that we're learning things and, and having a good time and if the first hunt you know with a young child is you know is 15 minutes hey it's 15 minutes yeah you know, so i <clears throat> took my kids when they're very young um, i wrote an article several years ago now you know about uh, ways to make it fun for kids and uh, so I asked my daughter, and I think she was probably, man, I don't know, eight at the time, maybe something like that. I was very young. You know, uh, why, why is hunting fun for you? Or what do we do that makes it fun? And uh, I knew what I thought she would have said. And uh, she listed like 10 things. And, uh, you know, I don't know that I would have had any of them right. And uh, But it was things like, you know, hey, we played cards in the blind. Or, you know, or we play, you know, like, what's the next bird we're here going to be? Mm-hmm. So uh it had nothing to do with with shooting deer or shooting turkeys or shooting bears. And in many cases, it didn't even have anything to do with seeing those. There's just so many other things out there, other wildlife species, other sound, squirrels chattering, songbirds flying by. It was those type of things that she was interested in. And you know, and so anyway, I tell people, make just make it fun, you know, let them explore. You know show them some things teach them some things you know you don't have to be you know a, a wildlife biologist or a bird expert or anything just you know just spending that time with them asking questions showing them things learn things together i can't tell you how many times one of my kids and i or somebody else that i've mentored and i you know like learned what a new plant was together you know, mm-hmm. we see a uh, some flowering plant on the way to a blind and i have a, a pretty good working knowledge of what a lot of plants are but there's a lot i don't know and you know so hey we we Looked it up online, you know, and learned it together, and so little things like that. That you know, it's it's absolutely not about killing something. Right. And there's a lot of old timers that think if you don't kill something, then then it wasn't fun for the new hunter. That that's not true at all. In many cases, uh, you know, whether they had fun or not has absolutely nothing to do with whether they shot something. Um, but it's just all the other things about being outside and being a part of nature. Um, that typically will make or break their interest in wanting to go back.
1: That's great, great advice. I like that, Kip. Well, I appreciate you sharing that. Just because, like I said, mm-hmm. I know that's coming up for for me especially mm-hmm. soon. Um, you know, we're looking at Pennsylvania here. I this year was this past year, twenty twenty one. I had a lot of friends uh, early October when that cold front came through, kind of filled their tag. And I had some other friends, including, you know, and I'm going to throw myself into this. We, I, we struggled a little bit. Uh, we, in certain kind of dough core areas that I – was seeing deer a lot of deer maybe in 2020 last year i did not see uh, i really had to work hard i got a late season doe uh in during the late season archery season which was it was a fun and man that meant a lot to me because of the grind of the season that it was mm-hmm. however you know this year man i'm i'm it's really neat because i feel like i'm strategic strategically placing certain cameras where obviously i had some nice pictures of whether it be doe some buck in summer, in their summer range, but I also think it's going to be a good spot come fall range because they've been quiet a little bit. I think weather has has that uh, to do that the last couple of weeks. But then, I remember. Seeing certain things posted about like hey during this time frame in August you might see some new bucks show up on camera in the summer and those could be some deer that will be coming around during the rut or during the fall range and last year ironically on my cameras that happened with my dad and I we I encountered a certain deer he uh, shot one of the uh, the other deer uh, during archery season so this year with the deer that I'm getting intel on and I still plan on shifting some cameras during the shift just to see if things go completely you know dead here in the next couple of weeks before the the statewide season opener oh, man what what outlook are you seeing for for uh, pennsylvania here for this upcoming season like i said last year was a struggle for me personally uh this year the summer it's been pretty dry so do you think anything's gonna play into that side of things for, for
2: this upcoming year Yeah, I think that last year was a struggle for a lot of people, um, Mm. myself included. At times, there was for whatever reason, you know, there were some very different uh, deer movement patterns during much of the season. Um, I was on a a field to fork event where you know an adult on a mentored hunting where we are taking adults to Northwestern PA really well-managed property uh friends of mine for for 20 years uh invited all these hunters in and uh we hunted we had three hunts and uh my the guy that I was mentoring in between those three hunts on really really well-managed land we saw a combined total of one deer wow that was it and you know I would have guessed we would have seen you know he would have had multiple shot opportunities. it was just one of those things where uh for whatever reason uh you know. You just, just weren't moving where we were uh, over those food sources. So I carried it through a lot of archery season. So uh, you certainly weren't alone with that. And, uh, you know, all the stuff that we know about deer, one of the cool things is, uh, you know, and there's still a bunch we don't know or can't figure out, you know, it's one of the things that makes them uh, the coolest uh, critter out there. Um, but as far as this year, we're kind of like you. I'm in north central Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. We were in a major drought for the last couple of months. You know, my yard was brown. Food plots weren't growing. I always plant my fall plots late July or early August, Um, but it was so dry then, there was no value in trying to plant them then. So I didn't, we finally got some rain the end of August. So I actually ended up planting all of those the end of August, so about a month later than normal. But the last two weeks, we have actually got some really nice rains. I'm to the point where my yard is green again. It looks like May here. It's as green as it's been all year. My yard is so, my yard is we were really dry. Yeah, my yard is
1: the same way right now as well.
2: well dry and a lot of the, uh, the summer food plots just didn't do well. The corn and the soybeans. Fall thus far is setting itself up for anybody who plants fall stuff to have tremendous growing conditions, which is great. Um, and, of course, there's there's always a whole host of other wild foods or native foods out there. You know, some parts of the state I know are doing okay with acorn crops. Where I am, we were hammered with gypsy moths. The worst I've seen it in probably 30 years. So um, apples are sparse. So it's nice when you have good apples because it really brings deer into a certain spot. Mm-hmm. If you have a lot of acorns, if you're in an area with a lot of oaks, that actually can make it difficult because deer say, stay so spread out. So the fact that we're not going to have that many apples and we're not going to have that many acorns this year means deer likely will be more focused or in, uh, in, at least in my part of the state, which often lends itself into, to really, really good hunting in the fall.
1: Yeah. That was one thing I remember last time you and I talked about, oh man, geez, that was episode. i actually looked it up cause I just wanted to, to kind of go back a little bit. That was episode 40 and this will air, geez, uh, kip this might be 100 episodes later when this wow. one finally ep- uh, airs which is kind of crazy to think about but that is one aspect for me personally that i've been keen in on no matter what i go scouting i am dropping pins for acorn or acorns just because in the past i never really took that in i mean i did take it in consideration but like you said like if this little oak flat is hammering and all these other flats and ridges that I'm traveling maybe are not okay I know that could be a good spot and like you said last year for me back at home in northeast Pennsylvania the mountain and the area that my dad and I would hunt we would not see acorns drop it's it was actually a, a very long time but last year it was insane how many acorns they were everywhere like walking down one of the the trails i mean you, it was you you could it was like you' were skiing because of how many acorns were dropped and it made it difficult but uh it it's something that for me moving in I'm not only looking at that main food source for some of these deer but also that secondary food source and uh, that acorns is is the one that i'm i've really starting to to gain a little bit more uh comfortable with with part of my game plan
2: Hmm.
1: that's that's for sure now when it comes to i would say kip like early season where where would you help kind of like i'm talking let's talk a little bit i know you you have your own property that you're managing so you could even outline that like when it comes to that early season if you have say a buck on camera or a, a specific or more generalized buck that you want to go after, are you, I know the one question that we get asked a lot is like the mornings and the, and the evenings. If you are an individual like ourselves that hunt or that work a lot and we only have specific days that we could go out there, are you still hunting mornings? Are you still going out there in or just the evenings? What, like for that first week, week and a half of October, where could you kind of, where you have fallen on that line.
2: Well, I think that early in the season um, is, is one of the best times to kill uh, a target deer. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you have a buck that you are getting pictures of or you're scouting and watching or whatever um, before we start applying any pressure to the woods and, you know, and they key in on us a lot faster than we clue in on them. Um, early season is a tremendous time to kill a deer like that. Mm-hmm. Um, having said that, I personally have better evening setups than, than a lot of morning just because of the way that our, that our farm lays out. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that there's, there's tremendous value in hunting in the morning and, uh, and I like to hunt in the morning. Um, and we do hunt in the morning, right. um, but we hunt a lot more evenings than we do mornings simply because of school and, and work schedules. Right. Um, all things being equal, evening stands tend to be a lot easier to get in, um, than, uh, than some of the morning stands are. So, um, because of that, I will not hunt a certain stand in the morning if I think I'm going to kick deer out trying to get there. Um, but if I can get to a spot in the morning and feel comfortable that uh, deer don't know that I'm there, mm-hmm. um, I think in many cases you, you can be far more successful in the morning, uh, particularly on, Uh, older bucks than than in the evening. Now, when you
1: talk a little bit about the evening and so let's just say someone that does not have, say, the food plot property, you know, access to them and how much value do you put into say the communicational side of things when it comes to to deer sign whether it be a scrape or rubs uh like are you focusing more so on that travel route where they're going to possibly be going to feed or uh and maybe set up over a scrape just in case they hit something or like again this is early on just because there are certain areas that i could think of personally where i found scrapes that they're getting hit all year round even in the summer i've and Hmm. They could be going, the area is kind of tough on this bottom. And I I don't really necessarily know the key main food source per se, but the travel route they're they're pretty on regular with where they're going. So do you value that area to, to put up a spot and say, Hey, if you hunt over this scrape early on, like you were saying, you might have have an opportunity to, to kill a buck, uh, especially a target buck that you're after.
2: I don't tend to hunt over scrapes very much. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reason for that is uh, I monitor scrapes a lot. Uh, I hang a lot of cameras around scrapes or sc- I create scrapes mm-hmm. and then we will put a camera there. Um, the, all deer use them, or, or at least most deer use them. The problem is the vast majority of that use occurs after dark, uh, you know, just before daylight or just after dusk. Right. So I don't tend to hunt over them a lot. So I tend more to hunt deer coming to them or, or leaving them. And uh, and I know there's probably some people listening to this who like to hunt scrapes. You know, they are saying, man, this guy's an idiot. He doesn't know what he's talking about. <laughs> well, the science is very clear that most of them using them at night. Not all of them, though. It's about 84% of scrape uses after dark. But that still means, hey, it's not, you know, 100%. So I tell people is if you like to hunt scrapes and you have been successful, keep doing it. You know, right. you can't argue with success. But just understand that, you know, those who are killing deer over scrapes there's a lot more people killing those deer coming to that scrape that it's going to get there just after dark or you know or, or leaving in the morning just before daylight and then you kill them you know on the way back to to, to a bedding area so yeah. um, so we don't tend to hunt much over scrapes, but we absolutely hunt a lot of areas you know where we know deer are going to be using those scrapes so uh let's try to figure out where he or she you know don't mm-hmm. are, are bedding yep Yeah. Um, in the old days, we killed a lot of deer on food plots or right in food sources. And then, of course, that works early, but then or works whether it's early in the season or if you don't start hunting until later in the season, the first few times that works. You know, but then they key in so quickly on that that they stop coming there during those shooting hours or at least slow down. Mm-hmm. So we have transitioned a lot more over the past uh, probably 10 years to, all right, let's see if we can figure out where they are going. And- do habitat work or figure out where they're coming from. Let's kill them in between because that way we can hunt that area way more times during the course of the year, because we're not getting, you know, we're not spooking deer there. You know, it's not like you're on a food plot and when you get out of the tree stand, you spook everything or you shoot a deer there in the food plot. So all the other deer know something's going on. You know, those setups can work very well a handful of times during the year, but if you can kill them coming or going, those setups you can hunt way way more shoot way more deer in between the two you know without messing that whole system up than killing them right over food
1: yeah, no doubt about that, Kip, because the, a buck that my dad and I were kind of, uh, we both had on camera multiple times, he more so, uh, and he had what exactly what you said, he had a lot of scrape activity at night with this buck, a beautiful nine-point mountain buck. I had a image of him, I want to say like the 22nd, I have to go back because I, I mentioned his buck a lot in the story a lot. It was the early in the 20s of October, daylight, beautiful, it was a, a misty, foggy morning, and boom. Him. There he is, just and I. What's ironic is that Sunday when I talked to my dad that night, I said, "Hey, I think you should go hunt this spot. We've we're getting a couple of younger bucks on camera, some dough up on camera." I said, "I I think a big boy's going to come through the next day." And mm-hmm. lo and behold, I'm teaching my cell camera thing goes off, and I my dad was like, "Yeah, I might go up there." And I the Pledge of Allegiance just happened, and I said, <laughs> "Class, class, give me a couple minutes." I go over in the corner, I call my dad, anticipating him to be like. Hey, Jerry, you know, whispering in the phone and he's just talking as normal as can be. And I'm like, Oh no, dad. I said, where are you? And he's like, I'm at home. Why? And I sent him the image and he goes, Oh, you gotta be kidding me. So it was that buck and we're just trying. And I want to say it was the, the Friday night, the Friday of the weekend of the Sunday hunting. He actually had an opportunity at him, uh, but it did not, he did not connect. And uh, the deer wasn't spooked too much or anything like that, but my dad watched where he came from, and I actually saw him when we were leaving Sunday night, so it was past dark, we were already kind of walking out and everything and uh, the headlamp and boom, he just, he had like no care in the world about 45, 50 yards ahead of us. And I mean, Kip, he's a, he was a beautiful, beautiful deer. And so coming up, I said to my dad, I said, dad, he's hitting those scrapes, uh, hitting that trail on the camera at night. We got to figure out where he's coming from and cut him off, or get in close a little bit closer to to like that daylight shooting hour still, and come up with a game plan. So that that's been a, a nice little cat and mouse game that my dad and I mm. are, have 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 been going on, and we did a lot of scouting postseason. And uh, obviously, we have multiple spots where we think could be one of the travel corridors that he's using, no doubt. But it'll be interesting to see come that late October again when I think he starts showing up again. Wow. Very nice. Well, uh, man, good luck. Yeah, Good luck <laughs> getting him this fall. That'd be awesome. Oh, uh, I hope, he, like I said, my dad or I, or myself have a crack at him because he's, mm. he's, he was a cool deer for sure. So, but yeah, I mean, that's cause that's the one thing for me, like I wanted to ask you particularly, cause I know you've, you've done seminars and things about the communicational like for deer and uh, with the scrape thing. And we never, my dad and I up until this point, especially me I never really had good success with mock scrapes until I did a little bit more research and talked to more individuals about how to go about making them. So last year, I want to say last summer, my dad and I, we incorporated a few more up on the mountain and I mean, it was all summer, all, you know, does and fawns and, and the bucks were hitting, hitting them. And it would amaze my dad because my dad's basically, you know, who taught me everything. And, and he's like, I just can't believe it, how they hit that. So again, he, my dad shot a buck last year. It was that Sunday morning of, of Sunday hunting. And he, uh, he was not, he was on a more so of a trail that that would lead to that scrape and this buck came up through and walked through uh that area and he was going to potentially maybe go that route of hitting that scrape but so that is a newer i guess tactic that he and i are using moving forward is the the scrape hunting and not necessarily like you were saying hunting over them but coming up with that game plan of like this is a co- a good travel route where deer are going to be going to Maybe possibly hit that scrape uh, before they go to feed, or coming back before they go to feed or to bed. So it's it's definitely an interesting topic for sure. So we have the moment of truth, right? We 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 get on a, a deer, whether it be, and this could be all a new hunter, a veteran hunter, just because there, there's been multiple deer that I've shot, and there's times where it's like oh, I think that deer's dead right? And you go in and you're like, oh my gosh, you got to be kidding me. Where, you know, did I, did I bump it? Is it not dead? You kind of go through that. I want you to, because you've had the opportunity to one yourself, obviously uh, kill and, and harvest many deer, but then also bring new hunters into the game and teach them, okay, here's here's the kind of the what not to do, what to do in, in a certain situation. Obviously, when you see a deer go down in front of you, that is what we're after right that is what we strive Mm -hmm. to do as a hunter we take a lot of time practicing i mean myself i'm a big archery nerd so when it comes to shooting i shoot every day that i have an opportunity walk us through or give us some pointers for that moment of truth and when things kind of i guess quote unquote black out and you're unsure what 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 are your steps and talk about what we should do and maybe what we should not do as well
2: well, I would teach people, um, you know, the moment of truth when you're ready to shoot. And we'll, we'll talk about either using, uh, you know, a rifle or a crossbow, something mm-hmm. that has a scope on it. I think the most important thing that we can teach people is, you know, make sure that you you watch this bullet or this bolt hit through the scope. Mm-hmm. Because essentially most of the miss will happen. is when they shoot, you know, and then they pick their head up to see or that the last thing they pull off. But if you can get them to try to watch, watch it hit through the scope so much better likelihood that they will stay on the shot and follow through appropriately you obviously can't see your bullet hit but if you try to see it hit through the scope then you are more likely to make a better shot and exactly the same thing with a crossbow um with a bow it's different obviously because you're looking through a peep sight or or at least just looking down your string. um However, most bad shots of the bow are the same thing mm-hmm. as people are like, "Well, will pull their head off to look to see, did I hit it well? So same thing, you know, you just have to be disciplined to follow through appropriately, you know, and try to see that arrow hit without moving your head. So that, that can help things so much. Now with a, a bow and arrow, I have, shot a lot of deer with a bow i have been with a lot of others and i have i have recovered a lot of deer that people shot and many including myself and i am firmly convinced that in many cases that arrow is going so fast that it doesn't matter what you see you don't necessarily see exactly what happened Mm -hmm. on more than one occasion i shot a deer with a bow i watched up close we're not talking 40 yards we're talking 15 you know 20 yards watch the arrow hit know exactly where it hit where it came out go retrieve the deer look at it and realize that actually did not hit even close to where my mind told me it did uh you know lighted knocks helped tremendously with this and at least allows us to see you know exactly or, or more close i think where it did hit certainly helps you find your arrow afterwards right but from a, a bow hunting standpoint i tell people it doesn't matter what you think you saw There's a a good chance that's not exactly what happened, which makes it all that much more important to be able to read the sign after the shot. Meaning, go find your arrow and look and see what's on it. Is there just chunks of meat on it? Is there blood on it that's extremely bright red and frothy? Is there dark blood on it? And it really smells like stomach contents. Those type of things will give you a better idea of, okay, even though I think I know where I hit, this is where I really hit. And then you start tracking or waiting a certain amount of time to track based on what that arrow in the site there shows you. You know, lots of bright red blood and it's frothy. You know, you most likely have, you know, one or double lunged it. That's great. You can get on that trail much quicker and expect to see a lot more blood than Ooh, I'm just seeing, you know, some chunks of meat and nothing else. Or gosh, you know what? I smell a lot of stomach contents and it's really dark blood, which Mm -hmm. could suggest a liver hit or a hit through the stomach. And the thing is, is that many, many to most deer that are hit through the stomach, they die. And if you don't bump them, they will die in the first bed they lay down in. And that might be very close, but it might take them eight hours. So, If I get to an arrow, ooh, I see dark blood, stomach contents. I definitely shot it there. Let's just back out. Mark the area, and I literally will back out. And as long as it's not gonna, you know, pour or something, you know, we'll wait literally eight hours and then more than once have recovered that deer, shot through the entrails, the first place it laid down or the second place. Usually the first place. The flip side of that is you get on it, you go searching, that deer is hurt but it lays down. It's not mortally wounded yet. It's going to die. It just hasn't yet. You get on it, you bump it out of that first bed. It might now go literally a mile before it lays down because it knows, oh, he's after me. And then what happens is because the blood trail is so little or so weak that even though it goes and lays down and dies, you simply can't find it. So being able to read the arrow in the blood is, I think, an extremely important task for anybody that's going to bow hunt. And that goes for a bow hunter as well as a crossbow hunter. Crossbows are even, can be even worse than bows with regarding where that arrow comes out because those bolts are so light. Um, I have a friend that I know his daughter shot a deer broadside with a crossbow and the, the bolt literally went in turned 90 degrees and ran the length of the body. Wow. Uh, my son last year shot a deer with a crossbow, hit it was almost broadside, hit it in the front, uh, right in the behind the shoulder. It turned 90 degrees, went all the way through it and actually stuck in its back leg. It never exited the deer. So the air, the bolts are so light that they hit any bone at all. And so we looked at it, you know, i thought he got a full passer we couldn't find the arrow anywhere it was the shot was less than five yards from the ground Mm -hmm. so um it was very clear we were going to recover the deer i mean it was but it tore a huge hole in this deer's shoulder and then the deer didn't go 30 yards but since the arrow didn't come out we never found a drop of blood other than right where it was standing so uh You know, we start to look, we can't. And my son's, oh my gosh, dad, I'm nervous. We're not going to get it. I said, we're going to get it, buddy. You know, like, but let's, (laughs) let's calm down and let's look. And and the deer wasn't very far at all. But other than right where he shot, there was no blood because the arrow didn't exit. So um, I have just seen too many times with bows and crossbows that what you think you saw isn't exactly what happened. So learn to read the arrow.
1: The one, the one piece that I do want to, I want you to maybe elaborate on is, could you recall a moment or a time on a recovery, uh, for an animal, for, for a whitetail where you did get some bubbles in, but maybe did not recover this deer. Have, do you, have, you have, have any experience with that type of situation?
2: Yep, I have. And, um, and I have ultimately chalked all of those up to either, we pushed the deer a little too soon and it just got into something that we couldn't find mm-hmm. or more likely um, we only hit one lung. Mm-hmm. And uh, we saw that frothy blood, it definitely was lung blood, but we only hit one of them. And a lot of those deer survive. And a lot of those will come from a tree stand shot down onto a deer, particularly if the deer's close. People simply don't aim high enough on the deer to go through both lungs. They end up aiming lower where they think they want to hit. But what they really need to be thinking about is where do I want this arrow to exit that deer? Mm-hmm. So they don't aim high enough. The arrow hits low, stay on the left side, goes through one lung, then exits with never making it over to the other side. You have to aim much higher than many people realize to hit both lungs. So I have seen that many times like that frothy blood. This looks good, but, you know, you shoot, we get out there. 20, 50, hundred, 200 yards. The deer hasn't even laid down yet Two hundred and fifty, And then suddenly, you know, you just start losing blood and can't find it anymore. Right. Um, if you have the ability to have a a, a leashed dog that can help, those are incredibly important. I'm a huge supporter uh, of leash tracking laws. And fortunately we can do that in Pennsylvania now, you know, they are, they are able to find a lot of deer that, uh, that we just simply can't find without them. Um, Maybe it was a great shot, but the arrow went into the other shoulder, so you don't have an exit hole. So, it doesn't, you know, that deer might be bleeding like crazy inside, but without an exit hole, there's no blood on the ground, you know, for us to see. So, um, anyway, a yeah. lot of value to a to a tracking dog uh, if if you have the ability to use them
1: yeah no doubt about that and you bring up a great point about like the angle and where you're aiming is that something too that you kind of tell people to practice because you know obviously i'm a i'm a big saddle hunter guy and i've gotten multiple friends into hunting out of the saddle now and they've always asked me what are some how long does it take me to you know to get better and you know i kind of say hey I give them a quick rundown and to go along with that is the, sh- the shooting side of things, right? So that gets into how are you telling people or teaching people, I guess you could, you, you could say, when it comes to aiming, and, and I know you said it is, is focusing on that exit route of, of that arrow. When it comes to a height, of a bread and butter height that you would recommend people starting i mean i'm i love the cover side of things if i that only means i'm eight feet up in the ground and i got great cover i'm only going to be eight feet Mm -hmm. i know my dad in years ago would say you got to be 20 feet up high or higher jared to get out of their vision you know where are you on that line and helping people out of like you got to aim where you want the arrow to exit
2: yeah, I'm I'm almost never more than fifteen feet in the air. Um I, I have my best friend hunts 20 25 plus at times. And that time you're just insane to go that high. Um, so I'm I am almost always around that fifteen foot mark. Um always using cover and uh so um yeah, I don't think that you have to be up that high. There's nothing wrong with it if you want to, but that absolutely changes the shot angles right when you are that steep. Um, what I tell people is, well, I actually, I have done a couple of videos with this. We have mm-hmm. a, an anatomically correct deer model um, from the National Bowhunter Education Foundation that I've done a few videos with to show people, hey, here's exactly where the heart is, the lungs are, here's where everything is, and then here's how high you actually have to aim you know, from a tree stand, what's in close, or even a deer that's quarter in a way that you shoot from the ground. People often misunderstand how far you need to aim back to make sure that you get both lungs um, they can Google, you know, my name and shot placement. Um, one video is on the deer association's website. Uh, the other video is on whitetail properties, land beat website. Both of those show exactly because I literally run an arrow through that deer model and show folks, you know, exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, but from a tree stand uh, it is pretty high on the back. It's above halfway that you're looking to go through. And from a quartering away shot, people hit like right up behind the you know the, the shoulder closest to them. Same thing. We're looking at one lung. Whereas if you're back farther, goes through the ribs, you cut the diaphragm, which then means the deer loses the ability to regulate that pressure in its chest. It can't breathe. Then you will get both lungs and a good chance you'll get the heart as well. Exit on the far side. So far, far better by aiming back a little farther on a quartering away deer.
1: Yeah, that's really, really important. That is the one aspect, you know, that I, it was, I think a couple of years ago, I missed two deer or two deer year, it was two years in a row. And I took that summer to really hone in my shooting process, my shot process of getting up in a tree, going through, breaking down my situation of where I need to aim, making sure that one, I'm also bending at the waist, doing my whole shot process so that when an opportunity would come that, that season I would hopefully go mentally go through and check those boxes. Mm -hmm. And that year I actually did and it paid dividends. So, I mean, anybody listening, that's maybe struggled, whether it be the target panic or not finding the deer, I can't encourage you enough to go out and heck, like I said, get eight feet up in the ground to see what that angle is going to be on a deer. Because how, I mean, there's not a lot of deer targets out there that, are actually anatomical correct of of where that ring is to where you actually need to shoot. You know, use that target to help you get ready for the season and take those shots practicing because I mean it's it's paid dividends for me and I and like from here on out. A lot of the times on my weekends that I like to go shoot, that's all I'm doing. I will I might warm up on the ground for just a couple of shots just to rip. And then after that, I'm climbing a little bit up and I bring up a bunch of arrows and I climb down. And that also helps me get back and get the cobwebs off
2: to uh, get ready for the season ahead. Absolutely. You know, way too few hunters will actually practice from a hunting situation like that um, a lot of practice from the ground, which is certainly valuable. Mm-hmm. And I know a lot of guys who get up and uh, you know, climb a power pole in their backyard or stand on their barn roof or whatever. And that's valuable too, but mm-hmm. neither one of those are nearly as valuable as hunting or shooting from a tree stand, particularly, you know, in a wooded situation or, you know, on the edge of a field. So um, yeah, that can make you better, but it will make you better and make you far more confident mm-hmm. when you know that shot arises which you know many people are good enough to make the shot as long as they're confident and they can follow through and man just knowing that you know what I've practiced from this stand or I've practiced in this situation you know I've got this right you know that alone makes all the difference in the world because you're already nervous you know your heart is pounding like crazy whether it's a doe or a buck so you want to take care of all as many other variables as you possibly can And just having done some practice from, you know, a stand or maybe you only hunt from the ground, make sure you practice from the ground. Shoot out of that blind, you know, make sure you know that, yes, my setup is tall enough to get out the window. So I'm not hitting the poles or I'm not hitting the blind. Just having that stuff out of your mind can help you do a much better job. When now, uh, when that moment of truth arrives,
1: yeah, I'm a big proponent too of like visualization because, la- like I said to you about last year being a struggle, man, I don't know how many times I encountered it visually shooting a deer, <laughs> and when that time came, I wanted to make sure that one shot I was going to make it count because it was that mm-hmm. Saturday before Monday, the last day of late season archery, and when that opportunity came, I was able to, in a in the saddle, I swung around and. I had a, like a weak side shot. So basically shooting like out of a tree stand and I had a limb kind of blocking my, the the deer's vitals. And what I was able to do is swing around the tree and use the, my steps on the left side as an extension to my platform. And I dug my, mm-hmm. my knee into the tree. I settled, I bent at the waist a little bit that I needed to. I took that deep breath and kind of like what you were saying, you watch the arrow go. And uh, I, man, I've I, again, I had all year to visualize that and the pressure was on and that one heat of the moment and hopefully, you know, going forward, it's like, okay, let's, let's bring that momentum and and that, uh, energy back for this upcoming season. Mm. Oh,
2: that's awesome. Very
1: good. Yeah. Yeah. That's like I said, it, it is, it's really important to practice though, for sure. And, and that is the other component too. like going back to recovering the deer and the blood trailing. I think it's really important too, for people to, if you know a friend that recently, you know, just connected on a deer to go with them, like get more experience if, you know, and, you know, I, I know there's young hunters and other hunters that they're holding out for maybe a specific buck or, or, you know, I'm, I'm in the business of getting out there and having fun and, and whatever deer gets me excited i'm going to shoot even if i know there could potentially be another bigger buck that's okay to me because if that deer makes me happy i'm going to do that so i'm in the business of just having fun and, and 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 going with it so if the only way you're going to get better at doing that is practicing more which means connecting more and filling those tags to to get out there to get better at you know that that type of skill so I really wanted you because, like I said, I know you've done those videos and you do a phenomenal job at those videos. I really highly recommend them. Like I enjoy them; it's a good refresher for me and picking up things. And you know, that was one of the topics that I really wanted you to harp on because when this airs, Kip, this is going to be leading up into the season. So I think it'll be a great time for individuals to hear that. So I know, I know we we're gonna go for 45 minutes. So to wrap kind of things up, Kip. Anything new this year for you? Are you trying anything new? Are you uh, more uh, anything that you did to your property for your camp uh, that that you have going on for this upcoming season?
2: Yeah, we have. Uh, we we always try to come up with some new setups um, just to provide more stand sites, different winds, spread pressure out because we have a bunch of people that that hunt our property, and we invite a lot of family and friends in. We mentor new hunters every year. So, uh, you know, we, we can't just go to the same stand or same few stands. So, uh, we have, uh, so some new stand sites that we are really excited about, uh, some, uh, a turkey foot food plot that we put in a really thick area this past year, um, that borders, uh, what used to be an old cattle pasture, cause mm-hmm. we have a beef operation. So had this field that was cool season, perennial grasses. So essentially zero value to deer that this past spring. Uh, as soon as it greened up, I sprayed it all, uh, killed that. And then late May, we burned it. So prescribed fire, burned all that thatch off, and then immediately broadcast uh, clover right into it. Uh, so we are not going to manage it as a food plot. We're actually going to turn that into early successional vegetation so that we have great cover and food, but it'll have that clover base. Okay. So uh, it's going to have really good food in that. So we have that, that field is right at the edge of a stand, but then overlooks where that kind of the uh, turkey foot plot is inside that cover, it's immediately adjacent. So it's kind of a spot on our farm that we really haven't been able to hunt much in the past, mostly because it was right at the edge of a pasture um, where our cows are out of that now. So super excited about that. And we have another area, The early succession of vegetation, it's a big field that's been very productive the last few years that two Marches or two uh, Mays ago, uh, my family and friends and I planted a uh, 300 white pine and, and some spruce and mm-hmm. creating a travel corridor in between two woodlots and uh, so uh, we have a, a new stand there. The trees aren't very tall yet but over the course of the next you know five to six years they are gonna get up above what's there and really provide a nice so uh, we have a new stand set up there to kind of watch as that stuff is coming up kind of how deer are maneuvering through that field so um am super excited to to kind of watch that whole thing come to fruition o- over the next few years so uh we have a few other places where it's a new stand a new blind or ladder stand or something but uh those two that i just mentioned uh are the ones that i'm most excited about um and uh and of course we have some some new hunters uh that we're gonna mentor just uh got up or found out confirmed one at the end of last week with a, a local guy Young lady has always wanted to hunt, has never hunted a day in her life. Um, so uh, we're going to meet her very soon, uh, talk to her about shot placement, talk to her about shooting. She has a crossbow. So uh, me, uh, my daughter, who's 16, this lady's in uh, in her 20s, early 20s. So uh, my daughter and I will take her. So i uh, looking forward to that, you know, just being able to share our experiences with somebody new, um, you know, teach her about uh, being a good steward of our natural resources and uh, hopefully uh, allow her the opportunity to see a few deer and maybe, you know, have the kind of the icing on the cake. I'll be able to get one as well.
1: That's awesome. That sounds exciting and a lot of cool things going on for you, Kip. Mm -hmm. Well, man, I appreciate you taking the time again over over lunch to do this. And, you know, when you think about the NDA, anything new down the line for this year coming out, do you know of, or that you're able to share? Uh,
2: yeah. Well, we, uh, we continue to, you know, to want to improve what we have from an educational standpoint and in a means to get that to people. Mm-hmm. So, uh, we always have new educational programs, uh, new videos, et cetera, to help new hunters, to help habitat managers, to help experienced hunters. Um, we continue to grow that on our, you know, our YouTube channel. Um, so all that stuff there is free for the taking, you know, uh, we, we strongly encourage folks to go there. We have that shop placement video that I talked to you about that's on there. Uh, as well as, you know, as a whole host of other things. So if somebody's interested in deer, um, that's a great place to go, you know, to to be able to find what they're looking for and hopefully uh, teach them a little more about this, uh, this wonderful animal.
1: Awesome, Kip. Well, thank you, buddy. Where could people find you and follow along and obviously at the NDA, but
2: uh, on a personal
1: side of things, where could people uh, look you up?
2: Uh, They can, uh, they can get, reach the Deer Association at deerassociation.com. We're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, all of those. Uh, personally, um, they can reach me at KIP, which is K-I-P, at DeerAssociation.com. They can email me there. Um, I'm also on on Facebook and Instagram. Uh, Facebook is just Kip Adams. Uh, Instagram is, is Kip Adams underscore NDA for National Deer Association. Uh, they can follow along on, uh, on some of what my family and I do, uh, as well as, uh, as my travels around the country uh, with some of the other hunters and, uh, and deer managers uh, that we help.
1: Awesome, Kip. Well, thank you, everybody. Thank you, Kip. I appreciate it. Best of luck to you this season. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. Till next week, antler up.